When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 298, and we are recording on September 14th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and it's actually September 13th, not 14th, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. I got messed up. I got Well, this is my fault, because I forgot to update the agenda, because this is a live show. It it's is a live show. We are looking at each other's faces. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, we are looking at each other's faces because we are streaming this for the insiders. Does Jen want to talk about what the insiders is? I'll talk about <laughs> insiders. Why not? Insiders is our exclusive content platform for folks from the Book Riot community. And there's a bunch of different levels you can sign up at. But if you are an Epic member, you get lots of extra perks, including the occasional podcast live stream. So the Book Riot podcast did one a couple months ago, and mm-hmm. now it's Get Books turn. And then we'll do an All the Books live stream probably at some point and only the insiders get to see our weird faces that we make while we podcast so it's so funny but you get to hear what it sounds like while we're doing this and it's pretty much guaranteed to be awkward so here we are this that's what's happening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right so go to insiders.bookriot.com for more information yes Um, If you are new to the show, as I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send us your reading recommendation request for yourself or your book club or a gift or whatever to getbooked.bookriot.com or you can drop it in the form, which is in the show notes on the site. Since it is episode 298, we are doing something special for episode 300, what you're making. Oh, I thought you were... See, now I can see your face, so it's messing me up. Oh, no. Don't don't pay attention to my face. What did I do? Okay. Episode 300 is going to be in two weeks, because that's how time works. Um, And we are going to be doing an Ask Us Anything, so you can send those questions to us. We already have a ton, to be honest, so if you don't feel like it, that's also fine, because we've got enough. Um, So we're probably going to have to do more than one AMA, since we got so many questions, and I'm excited to answer those. Okay, Um, we have a lot of feedback this week, and then I will read our first question, and we will hear from our first sponsor, and away we will go. So our feedback, let's see. Oh, okay, this is from S. Johnson, who says, I have a quirky, offbeat gay romance I think you'd both like. This is just a general suggestion for everyone. Um, I've never heard it recommended on the show. It's called Looking for Group by Alexis Hall. It's about a young man who loves online MMORPGs and is in a fictional game meant to represent a real-life game of World of Warcraft. I've been a longtime player of World of Warcraft, and the book does a great job of bringing the life of that into the story. It's very realistic about how easily you can get sucked into the game. The protagonist starts joining a person online they believe is a girl and starts developing friendship, which turns into romance. What they meet in real life, she, I'm doing air quotes, turns out to be a boy. Hmm. Now the protagonist has to decide, is he gay? Can it be possible to be fooled into loving someone of a different gender? He is angry, etc. That sounds very angsty and complicated. Well, I mean, that is what Alexis Hall does. I was going to say, I've yeah. read most of Alexis Hall's books, but not that one. 
I feel like if this were a different author, I would not trust it. Yes. <laughs> but, but Alexis Hall, I very much so trust. Okay. And from Georgia, this is a rec for Heather who wanted Christian romance, love and other mistakes by Jessica Kate. Great second chance romance with realistic problems and no easy solutions, but a happy ending all the same. You should write blurbs, Georgia. Yeah. All right, question one is from Kate. Kate says, I've been in a reading slump for about a month. I think it's a combination of the pandemic and work being busy and need I need something gripping but not too heavy. I enjoy family sagas, coming-of-age stories, romance, and YA. I also enjoy retellings of myths, especially Greek or Roman. Some of my favorites are One by One in the Darkness, Remember Me by Sophie Kinsella, The Dutch House by Anne Patchett, Hush by Jacqueline Woodson, Meg Cabot's Princess Diaries, and Circe by Madeline Miller. I don't like horror or anything creepy or with prominent violence and only read thrillers occasionally, but when I do, I like there to be a strong hook like Before I Go to Sleep or My Sister, the Serial Killer. Alrighty, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Jen, do you want to? This is a whole lot. It's a whole lot. (laughs) It is a whole lot. So I thought about this a lot. And I ended up going with romance because. I felt like it. And you listed a bunch of romance writers who I feel like I have a sense for what you're interested in. And I haven't gotten to recommend this book on the show yet, I don't think. So here we are. My recommendation for you is The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zoe Axelrod. And this is actually the first in a series for once. It's, the series is called The Lilies. 
And the main character, I do, I do love this. Her name is Antonia Tony Bennett. Ha! But she is not like an old white, like rat pack dude. She is a young black woman who loves the guitar. She's actually very talented. And when she was a teenager, she had this friend named Sebastian who was like a little bit older, you know, cute guy. And they bonded over music and they were in this very small town. Neither of them wanted to be there. Tony has like a very complicated relationship with her parents. Her mother was like a lounge singer who had an amazing voice but was not a very good mom Um, and then she gets sent to live with her dad who she doesn't even really know and she's in this tiny town and everything is terrible but there's Sebastian and they become very close and they make a whole plan to leave together and then he turns 18 and just goes and never tells her why and they he doesn't stay in touch and she's just like okay fine (laughs) screw you I have to do this all by myself So now she's a grown-up. She's playing in Philly's indie rock scene and uh, casting, like casting. What do you call it when it's a music musician call? They they send out a call for a guitarist. Yeah, auditions uh, for this for a guitarist spot in in an up and coming band. And she decides to go out for it only to discover when she's already there that Sebastian is their manager. And so, you know, this is a romance. They have to resolve their past and see if they can like, how do they relate to each other now? Things are very steamy. There's a lot of like, we shouldn't, but we will, you know, that kind of thing. And the way that music is treated is so good in it. The way that the different band dynamics are portrayed. It's an all-girl, all-female, excuse me. These are women. It's an all-female group, and they have, like, a lot of history. And there's a lot of intense, you know, why do I want to say? Like, there's reasons why they're looking for a guitarist that are not, like, entirely positive. Um, This is where I give the content warning for drug use. One of the band members is kind of coming unraveled due to the fame and the pressure and also her own issues. So there's a lot going on, but I think you're going to love the characters. I think you're going to love... I loved this. I loved the pacing. I loved the storyline. I loved everything about it. And I think it's very in line with the things that you already like. So again, that is The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zoe Axelrod. Okay, I picked Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto, which... It hits a lot of the points that you asked for. It's a family saga. It's coming of age. It has a romance. It's not creepy. Um, There's a little bit of violence. Uh, But it is a thriller with a strong hook that is based around families in the same way that my sister, the serial killer, is. Not the same way, because her sister is not a serial killer. But so this is about a woman named Madeline who has left college and she lives in uh, California with her family. Her mom, who raised her as a single mom, and her three Yeah, her three aunts. So four older women and Madeline. And Madeline is a photographer. She has is participating in this business that her family has started. So it's a wedding planning service. She does the photography. One of them does the singing. One of them does like the food, the baking, the catering. One of them is a florist, etc. And she, they're also meddling. Like it's a family of uh, Chinese Indonesian immigrants. And Madeline has that pretty common kind of, I don't want to call it like a, thing i don't know it's not a trope but uh, she doesn't feel like she's chinese indonesian enough she doesn't feel american enough like that's a very common kind of friction or internal struggle um, that she's always feeling especially when she's around her family and they meddle in her life a lot and so her mother her mother sets her up on this blind date by pretending to be her on like tinder like she catfishes a dude on tinder sets her up on a blind date and so she decides to go because she's nice i would not go 
<laughs> she's like nice to her mother. So she goes and she accidentally kills her blind date. It's not super violent or gory or anything like that, but she does accidentally kill him. And it doesn't look great, so she decides not to go to the cop. She panics. She drives home and asks her mom and her three aunts for help. And then, so this is different from thriller, a lot of thrillers or murder mysteries, because you know who did it. It happens in the first, like, ten pages. The whole mystery here is, like, how are they going to get away with it? Because then it becomes, we have to hide this body. Uh, We have to dispose of this body, not just hide it, but, like, get rid of it forever. The kind of bigger twist here is that they have a wedding that they're working that weekend for a billionaire, like a literal billionaire with a B, who if they like nail this wedding, they'll be set as a, for a, as a business for life. So they have to, you know, professional and also personal stress. Another twist is that when they show up at this hotel to perform this wedding slash dispose of a body, um, the manager is Madeline's ex-boyfriend, the one who got away. And that's where the romance comes So there's a lot going on here. But for somebody who's in a reading slump, I think this is really great because it's funny. The stakes are low, even though death is involved. And it's like just kind of a romp. Like there's romance, there's a little bit of everything and it's super, super fast paced. So that's Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto. There is, I feel obliged to say, there's some love in the live stream comments for Dial A for Aunties. So yes. Co-signed by other listeners. All right. Our next question (laughs) is from Alice, who says, I work in an international NGO, non-profit, non-government, non-government organization that focuses on the promotion of responsible and multi-perspective history education, where I coordinate professional development for educators and am in charge of our periodic messages for members. In our periodic messages, I would like to start to add reading suggestions because I have noticed that we do publish a lot of reviews, but these are all for nonfiction books. Well, I believe you can also learn a lot from fiction. In the first version of reading suggestions, I have focused on books that will change your perspective of colonial history and suggested Homegoing by Ya Jesse, Sea of Poppies by Amitav Ghosh, and The Moors Account by Leila Lalami. I'm now looking for books that I can read and then recommend on new themes. I was thinking something on the fragility of democracy, something on challenging stereotypes and preconceptions, or something on the dissolution of the USSR. Any genre works, oh, but they have to be nonfiction. Of course, I'm very interested in diverse voices. I know you will only recommend two books. Oh, et cetera, et cetera. I misread this question. I thought... I think she okay, meant they fiction. Have to, right? We, yeah, the yeah. question is asking for yes, fiction. She... Yeah, okay. All right. So yes, maybe it's yes, just yeah. a typo. Okay, so I recommended fiction. I hope... Alice, so I hope I. that's what yeah, you actually yeah. wanted. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep going here. Uh, I picked... The Rib King by Lady Hubbard, because I think it does a great job of challenging stereotypes and preconceptions. And it is like very much in line, I think, with what you're trying to do here. Also, it's just so good. I'm like kind of obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Uh, Content warning for violent racism and just like all of the racial issues. It's, 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 It's not great in that regard. So this is set in uh, early 20th century. I think it's in like, it's it's New England-y. And the action mainly takes place around the house of this white family, the Barclays, who are, you know, well-to-do, they're entrepreneurs, and they have quite a few Black staff. And one of them is 
very talented in the kitchen. You also get you get multiple perspectives from these staff in like really interesting ways. But the crux of the story is that one of them invents this rib sauce is basically a sauce. And they decide as has happened so many times to like the white family decides to bottle it and sell it and market it using the caricature of August, who is the one who invented it. And it's like we're talking like, you know, Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben, like the use of very cartoony, stereotypical images of African-Americans to sell products to a white market. So that's what's going on here. And the effects of that choice unroll in all of these really intense and unexpected ways. And you get, like I said, different perspectives from different people, from different of the Black folks involved in the situation. And like, stuff happens like there's like people die like lives fall apart people are reinvented lose track of each other for decades like all kinds of really intense things happen the repercussions that's the word i was looking for the repercussions of this really echo through their lives in very intense ways and i think it's so especially the last couple of chapters are so sharp on deconstructing this terrible, you know, entrepreneurial tradition and how so many people don't even notice or like look beyond it or make excuses for it or whatever. Like it really, really digs into that. And uh, the characters are amazing, although not easy. Like you're going to have a lot of feelings about these (laughs) characters and what happens to them and what they choose to do in response. Uh, And I just I just think it's great. So I think it would be a great thing to recommend for a list like this. So, again, that is The Rib King by Lady Hubbard. I also fixated on the um, challenging stereotypes and preconceptions portion of this question, um, and also that you work for an international NGO. So I went with The Woman Next Door by Yawande Omotoso, which takes place in South Africa and comes with a trigger warning for apartheid. I mean, I would usually say racism, but I feel like apartheid has so much other stuff going on. So apartheid. Um, So the the thing that I love about this book is that it's about two very elderly women and they're like decades long hatred for each other. Hortensia and Marion, they're neighbors. They live in a very fancy neighborhood in South Africa. Hortensia is black and Marion is white. They are both successful with careers. Um, and both of them have been widowed recently. And they hate each other with like the deep, fiery passion of a thousand burning suns and have since day one. And it goes back to the fact that Marion was an architect for much of her young life and was what like a trailblazing one of the first female architects in South Africa. Um, And she built the house that Hortensia lives in, but she never got to live in it herself and has always wanted to. So the fact that like, this woman lived in my house, but also this black woman lived in my house, like haunts Marion forever. And Hortensia um, can tell, (laughs) you know, like she feels that there's some angst there. And Hortensia is a very bitter, angry woman. She is just a viper. Like she is a pit viper. Everything that she says is biting and caustic and rude and amazing. And so they just fight constantly. And when the book opens, there is a court case that is coming up out of South Africa. Um, it's like a post-apartheid. It's a it's an attempt at reparations where land that was taken from Black families during apartheid is being returned to their descendants. And the neighborhood that Hortensia and Marion live in is one of those places. And so Marion calls a you know neighborhood watch, essentially, of old biddies together and is like just opens the meeting with like here's the thing that's happening here's our plans to fight it da 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 and hortensia is like i'm sorry why are we fighting this this is why is she why is like the assumption that we are 
right and these people who are making this claim are wrong. And then it, the, that main conflict, which of course is about something much greater and something historical and about the preconceived notions that they have about each other, is kind of unfolds on this backdrop of the, these two women who are just so spiteful and angry and hate each other so much. But as the book unfolds and they fight this battle together and come to understand each other a little bit more and realize they have a lot more in common than they do not in common... They develop it. I wouldn't call it a friendship necessarily, but there it's an evolution. I would almost call this a romance, to be honest. Like the evolution of their relationship is like, it's just beautiful. And Marion, you know, I don't want to recommend this book and be like, and then the white lady realizes the error of her ways and becomes fancy and perfect at 85 because that's not it. But she like tries, you know, like both of these characters are bad people in different ways and for different reasons, but they're both so human and the battle that they wage against each other is so understandable. Anyway, so like, yeah, that but it'll battle some stereotypes on an international setting, which I think would be great for this list. So that is The Woman Next Door by Yawande Omotoso. Okay, um, question three is from Stephanie, who says, after reading Talia Hibbert's Get a Life, Chloe Brown on an impulse from my local library, I discovered that I apparently like romances now. In addition to Get a Life, Chloe Brown, I've also read Hibbert's Ravenswood series. I read The Bromance Book Club. Uh, Alyssa Cole is already on my TBR. In Hibbert's books so far, I love the quick-witted, sarcastic conversations and tone of her books and the fact that she builds up to sex scenes that are fun and consensual while still definitely steamy. Also, I like nice male characters and don't really want to read about jerks who are redeemed or healed by the power of love. I prefer modern-day romances, but I'm open to reading historical if it's really good. I myself am multiracial, Native American, Black, and White, and so bonus points for a romance novel with a multiracial character or romance, uh, and extra bonus points for a book with a main character involved in a fandom, because I am that kind of nerd. All right, Jen, what you got? So I was going to recommend a different book by Alexis Daria to you, but then I read A Lot Like Adios over the weekend in like in two, two hours flat. I opened it and I did not move again from my couch until I finished it. And it fits this question even better than the other one I was going to recommend. So again, we are talking about A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria. This is technically the second in the Primas of Power series. Don't at me. You can read. It totally stands alone (laughs) just fine. Although you should read the others because these are so good. So, okay. Why are you going to like this? One, hero, not a jerk. He has done something very stupid, but he is not, in fact, a jerk. Two, our main heroine, Michelle, is Italian and Puerto Rican and has, like, that mix going on in her family. And three, they have this amazing, adorable storyline where one they've been friends since early childhood. And one of the things that they share together is the love of this one season of a space opera featuring Latinx characters that got canceled. And so they have written fanfic for it. And you get actually like little snippets of that fanfic throughout. So like, I think you're just going to love this. Um, The thing that Gabe did that's extremely stupid is at 18, he got into a college in California. They they grew up in the Bronx and he got into a college in California and didn't tell anyone because he was facing a lot of of family pressure at home and he knew that people were going to be upset that he was leaving. He didn't want to disappoint Michelle. They've been very close and like there's kind of like a will they won't they teenagery vibe and he tells her in this like terrible way like actually I'm leaving and she's like how dare you? 
not tell me that this is happening and now you're leaving like tomorrow basically like I don't want to talk to you again and then they don't talk for like 13 years <laughs> yeah so that, so he starts a very successful gym in LA and his one of his investors part of the deal was that they open a New York City location and his business partner while trying to find someone to do the marketing for this new location finds Michelle, does not realize that they have history, and hires her to do the marketing. She finds out that it's Gabe. So she decides that she's going to take the job, but the conditions are that Gabe has to come and stay with her, and they're going to work out their baggage together. And of course, what ends up happening is that like he gets off the plane, they have immediate chemistry, and now they have to figure out, like, as they are having these intense, steamy interactions, but also are working together, but also there's all kinds of like family stuff going on. Like, it's a lot. It is so much fun. It is absolutely very quick-witted. They have a lot of banter. It is extremely consensual. And I love the way these two work out their stuff together. Like, it's very believable and very well done. And... I only wanted to shake them like a couple of times. It's like, you know, because sometimes you just get so frustrated with romance characters. You're just like, oh, my God, have a conversation already. But I didn't really feel like that. And the fan fiction part is so satisfying. So, again, that is A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria. All right. So um, for quick-witted sarcasm with non-jerky, multiracial characters, I went with The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa. Um, which is about Carolina Santos, Lena, who is a wedding planner who was recently left at the altar. And the irony, it, you know, is there. I don't know. It's in a lot of more set songs. <laughs> um, and she has moved on past her, you know, embarrassing incident of being left at the altar and has become a very influential and successful wedding coordinator in Washington, D.C. She has offered an opportunity to work with a hotel line, like a very fancy boutique hotel line to help do their weddings. But the issue is that they have also hired a marketing firm to work with her. So these the marketing firm and the wedding coordinator would work together. But the marketing firm is being uh, the person or the representative from the marketing firm is her is the best man from her wedding, which is her ex fiance's brother. So this is not she's not that's a no. <laughs> like it's very mm -mm. and she doesn't have anything like she doesn't have beef with the brother. He didn't do anything to her necessarily. He was the one who told her that his brother wasn't coming to the altar. Um, so he like delivered the bad news, but she doesn't have anything like personally against him necessarily. He's just a face of bleh, you know, um, so she's like not into it. And Max, who is the hero, um, is into her and like has been for forever, but of course never did anything about it because brothers, girl and all of that. Uh, but now they've not been together for a long time. And he's like very interested in working with her. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. Okay. And so they have to, but they have to survive the next few weeks, right? Like they have to make this presentation. If they nail the presentation together, then their partnership will be selected to work for this hotel chain. And then both of their careers will be basically set. And so they have to, that's what they do. It's very, it's almost like a, like a professional closed room romance. Like they're trapped together, not literally in a room, but they're trapped together on this project and they have to go be successful and also work out their awkward weirdness. And like her ex-fiance pops up a few times and he's a jerk, but she's not kissing him. So we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Carolina also comes from like a very large Brazilian family. I think she's Afro-Latina. And Max is white. So there's lots of that interaction where she like takes him to a uh, capoeira class and beats the crap out of him at one point. It's amazing. 
It's so great. And they have a lot of banter. It's just a lot of fun. And it's going to be a movie soon. So look out for that. So that is The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa. Excellent. All right. Our next question is from Gul Jamal, who is looking for, I love this, single single sentence request. Are my favorite. <laughs> a book like The Outsider by Stephen King or any murder mystery book that has a thick plot with a lot of murder. And that is thick with three C's for the record. <laughs> and no K. And no K. <laughs> so first of all, I would like to congratulate Gojamal on being the first person to ever write in describing a plot as thick. Like, that's amazing. Thank you <laughs> for doing that. I'm just going to keep going. I talked about this book recently, but I I really, this was the first book I thought of when I read this one line request. So I am picking They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall, which is a murder mystery with a lot of murder, like so much murder, y'all, in this book. It's the murderiest of murder mysteries. It is, I mean, is it technically a thriller? I never know the difference between mystery and thriller. That's a confession that I'm making right now. So anyway, it's there's a lot of murder. Miriam, who is our narrator, has been invited to what she thinks is a reality show on a private island that's gonna like if she wins she'll get a lot of money and even if she doesn't win they've guaranteed her ten thousand dollars and she could use the money she also needs to get out of town because we don't know the exact details but there's been some all kind of altercation the police have been called her daughter and her ex-husband and her ex-husband's new wife are all like very mad at her and she's like i'm gonna go on this reality show I'll come back with a lot of money. I'll win. They'll all have to be nice to me. The end. Like, it's perfect. It's a perfect plan. But, of course, she gets to this island, and she discovers she has been bought there under false pretenses. There are seven uh, people total, all of whom have secrets, all of whom are not on the level. And the story unfolds, and you find out who all these people are and why they all start to die. It is extremely dark it is extremely like complicated and you don't always know there's a lot of drugs so you're like okay is this real is this like a hallucination brought on by too much cocaine like what is happening here it is uh it is very intense and very murdery um i i like there's so many content warnings for this book y'all like just be go into it knowing that like it's kind of a smorgasbord of badness. So, but in like a really, I think Hazel Hall handles it extremely well. And I found the ending very satisfying. So, again, that is They All Fall Down by Rachel Hazel Hall. Um, one of our insiders in the chat is saying they want to be able to describe all of their reads. It's thick, even if they're novellas. And I agree with that. <laughs> Good goal. Okay. I went with the. Aosawa Murders by Riku Onda, which is translated by Allison Watts. I, I haven't read The Outsiders by Stephen King, but I read a synopsis and it sounds real effed up. So I went with like the most effed up mystery that I read in a long time. I mean, yes. That also, yes, it also has a very thick plot in as much as like there's a lot going on. Many people die. You're dealing with several threads. So the novel starts in the 60s and 17 people um, at a party die of cyanide poisoning. They are murdered. It's gross. It's grisly. It's nasty. Uh, The party is being thrown by the owners of a medical clinic in a town on the coast of Japan. And the only survivor is the doctor's blind daughter, Hisako. And she holds herself up in a room in the house while the death was happening. um, And she is found alive. 
the person who becomes the prime suspect is someone who like delivered some sodas to the party and he dies by suicide a few months later, which the police consider to be an admission of guilt basically. And they, even though they never figure out his motive, they decide that that's good enough and they close the case and that's it. But there's always like a little suspicion from the cops that Hisako, the daughter, had some kind of role in the in the deaths of all of these people. They can't prove it. They can't figure out why, like what her motive would be. But it's just a little weird that she is the only person to manage to survive this incident. And the author of a book about the murders that's written about 10 years afterwards, is it, who is a childhood friend of Hisako's, shares the sentiment um, and she was a, a witness. She was one of the first people to discover that the killings had happened. Like she walks into the house and discovers all these bodies and then realizes that Hisako is still alive, calls the police, all that. And so you get testimony from a, a few different people, some family members, witnesses, a couple of neighbors, and some of the police investigators uh, in the present day. And then Hisako, who is still alive uh, several years later. Um, about what happened. And so you are, you kind of like weave around and through all of these different perspectives until you get to figuring out what happened. And even when you figure out who did it, the why is still like ooh, itchy. It's like a hook in your brain, you know, like it gets in there and you think about it for forever after you've read it. Like, did I interpret that right? It's, uh, uh, I don't know. Like, it's one of those questions of like, was this um, uh, not justified, but yeah, did, was there a motive or a so? Is it a motive or is it a sociopath? You know this kind of like dance, um, and that kind of stuff just sticks with me. And I think Stephen King is really good at those questions. Actually, like he's really good at the the deep dark ickiness inside people. I've often wondered what the, like living in his brain must be like. I don't know. Anyway, okay, so that's the Aosawa Murders by Riku Onda, translated by Allison, and it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out the Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. 
When she drinks, she's bold and funny. And as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine. Partying hard is what it takes. But with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments. And We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023. So suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Side note, before we get to the next question, I super do not want to live in Stephen King's brain ever. Ew, no. Ever. No, no, no. No, thank you. No. We'll pass. No. There, there, this is also a side note, but um, have, do you listen to the Rewatchables? You're, you don't do a podcast. No, not so much, yeah. So the Rewatchables is just a podcast of like a bunch of film critics rewatching like movies, famous movies. And the episode on The Shining is amazing. And there's a whole rant for like 20 minutes about how Stephen King's brain is the worst brain <laughs> to like ever possibly live in. And I would agree that that is accurate. I, yeah, I have seen the documentary about The Shining where it goes into all of the oh, conspiracy yeah. theories. Room... Room 237. Yeah, yeah. Or it's or the room two, whatever yeah. number. And it is banana pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, question five is from Michelle, who says, My book club and I have chosen travel and adventure as our theme for the year, and we are in search of graphic novels that fit the bill. We lean hard towards historical fiction. I would especially love something featuring women and POC, but otherwise our only request is that the adventure take place on Earth. <laughs> so we might be able to one day visit the places we have read about. Okay, I'm going to keep going because this one's really quick. I picked French Milk by Lucy Nisley, which is a graphic novel about France, which you can visit only if you're vaccinated, though. Hey, oh, get that jab. Okay, um, because they recently, they like just banned unvaccinated Americans, just saying. Uh, so this is a graphic memoir um, about Lucy's life in her early 20s. I think it's earlier mid 20s. She's a young woman and she spends five weeks in Paris in January with her mother. And her mother and her have like a complicated relationship. Her mother is just turning 50 and has feelings about it. Lucy doesn't have a lot of money as one does when one is in one's early 20s and like has a lot of feelings about that. Being in France doesn't make those feelings go away, right? Like it's beautiful and luxurious and elegant and I have four cents. So. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Um, and so it's just kind of that. Like, the reviews, let me put a little asterisk here. I think it's great. I think it's a very honest portrayal of being young and confused and kind of whiny in the foreign country where, like, you don't necessarily speak the language super well. Your mom is annoying. You're poor. All of that. Some of the reviews don't love revisiting that mental framework. You know what I mean? Like, in the same way that some people don't like YA because they feel like it's too right. angsty. I think that that's where these people are coming from. But I think it's great. It's very relatable to how I think I would, even as an almost 40-year-old woman, feel in France. Like, everything is so fancy, and I have no money, and where's the croissants? I want to go home. Right. <laughs> but also, I don't want to go home. I want to live here forever, but I can't afford it. Um, so, I, you know, you, you asked for an adventure. I don't know that wandering around Paris, whining, and going to museums could be considered an adventure necessarily, but also it super could. Like, if you're young and haven't traveled a lot, and this is a new place where you don't speak the language and you don't really understand the culture mm. or the values of the people around you. Like that's, that's definitely an adventure and living there for five weeks. Like that's a lot of yeah. immersion in a, in a new place. So that's French milk by Lucy nicely. Oh, and I, some of it is like, I think literal pictures of her travel diary in very tiny print. So like where are your readers? If that's you. 
We have a couple unintentional themes. We had we had marketing firms and romance novels earlier. And now we have like sort of an adventure, also complicated parent-child feelings. Because my pick yeah. for this one is Just So Happens by Fumio Obota. It is about a young woman. It is fiction, but it is contemporary. It's not historical. Uh, Yumiko is uh, a Japanese woman. She is young. She has lived in London for a long time. Like, she's got a job and a boyfriend, and she's very settled there. And then her father calls to tell her that her father has died. And so she has to go back to Tokyo for the funeral and is very immersed in, like, all of that, you know, the rituals around the funeral. You get other, like, cultural touch points, like no theater uh, is part of this. And it is beautifully, beautifully drawn and illustrated. And it is very much about, yeah, like coming to terms with like being a person in the world and like being in a location that should be familiar, but kind of isn't. And like, how do you navigate that space? And how do you navigate life and all of those questions and then dealing with grief like a lot? So like, I I don't know that that's like, it's not like a swashbuckling adventure, but it is a life adventure. And that's sort of where I landed. I went back and forth like a thousand times on this. This question. I kept poking around and like, I actually had a really hard time finding historical fic- adventure fiction about like women and or POC that is in a place you could visit that I thought would work for you. Like, I don't know why. Maybe I was just missing them. So that's why I went this direction instead. You can, I mean, someday you will be able to visit Tokyo again. Hopefully things get better there soon. And like, it is very much about, I mean, I guess what I heard from your question was that you want to feel immersed in the place and like, like you're getting a sense for it. And this absolutely will give you that um, in this way for Tokyo. So, so that's what we're going with. Uh, so this is, again, Just So Happens by Fumio Obata. All right. Our next question is from Radhi, who says, I'm hoping to find a great World War I novel. I've read the Maisie Dobbs series, The Hot Mess That Was Overseas by Beatrice Williams, and I'm slogging through the guns of August. I know there are great nonfiction books, but I would love a fictional account. I love a romance and don't really enjoy horror, but otherwise I'm open to anything. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked Slippery Creatures by K.J. Charles again, (laughs) and I'm not sorry. (laughs) I think this is the last time I can recommend it for this entire year. But man, I burned through those. But it's so good. Okay. So this is a romance, like, pulp. It's not fan fiction, but it's, it's, if if pulp fiction had fan fiction, you know, like if a genre had fan fiction, then this would be that. It's about a man named Will, who is a, a British veteran of World War I. So you asked for a World War One novel. This takes place immediately after World War One, which I hope counts. Maisie Dobbs is the same though. Like that's post-war, so I thought that that would be fine. So he comes back from the the war with like medals, and you know he's very highly decorated. He has no money, as was the case for a lot of veterans who came back to like a complete economic recession, and unemployment was super super high. He ends up in London, kind of like living on the streets, looking for work. And then he gets in touch with an uncle who he wasn't super close to as a kid, but he was like fine, you know, not estranged or anything. Um, And his uncle owns a very chaotic, good uh, secondhand bookstore. And Will, uh, he hires Will and like basically saves Will, takes him off the street, uh, gives him a job, something to do. And so, and then he dies. (laughs) Like a few months later, he has a stroke and he dies and and leaves the bookshop to Will. And Will is like completely overwhelmed because the store is in total chaos as secondhand shops often are. Um, And he has to figure out, like, where everything is and, like, what everything is. And, and, you know, uh, he's inherited this this mess. But he needs to make a go of it because it's all that he has. But then 
criminals start showing up asking him for the information, like capital T, capital I. And he's like, I don't, what are you talking about? Get it. No, this is no, no. And then the war office shows up, like his commander, like his bosses could show up, or former bosses anyway, also demanding the information. And he's like, mm, so you and also the criminals want something that's in this store. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I need you to leave me alone functionally. Like, I, if I find it, I'll call you. I don't know what you want from me. Like, he has no way. They're looking for a piece of paper in a bookstore. Like, this could be literally, you know. Uh, and then a, a man named Kim shows up. He's very charming. He's very cute um, and wealthy and, like, fancy. You know, there's a class divide kind of thing here. And he shows up as someone is trying to rob Will, like, trying to find the information. And he scares the robbers off and then gets, like, completely fascinated by this whole thing. Like, they're looking, you, obviously, this is some kind of conspiracy. This is interesting. I'm bored and rich, so, like, let me help you. And so they decide to team up to figure out what's going on. But Kim is secretly a spy. And, like, whose side is he on? And there's so much double crossing and triple crossing and kissing um, <laughs> while the double and triple crossing is happening. I hate you. I love you. I want you. I hate you. You know, that's um, and also like a bookstore. It's just the most charming, lovely thing. And in all of that charming loveliness is like a real historical novel about the difficulties facing World War One veterans like KJ Charles is so good at shoving learning at you even when you didn't ask for it. <laughs> but it's great. Um, and this is a new series. I think the second one just came out. Um, and she's still writing them. So that is Slippery Creatures by K.J. Charles. Amazing. Well, Amanda, I'm glad you leaned into the charming and romance because I sure did not. <laughs> my, <laughs> I, I gave you a pick from my TBR, which has come extremely highly recommended from people I trust. And it sounded, I maybe I'm reading into your question, but it sounded to me like you're looking for something like not just the same as what you've read already. And so I'm recommending At Night All Blood is Black by David Diop, translated by Anna Mushkavakis. And this is the story of a Senegalese man named Alpha who is from like a small village, has never traveled, and then he finds himself fighting in with the French army during World War One in like a, you know, they called it the Chocolat Regiment. Um, so he's fighting with other Black and African diaspora folks. And things go very badly because they are at war and it's World War One, and like things are going to go badly. And he starts to sort of unravel, including doing things like sneaking across enemy lines to murder German soldiers and like take their severed hands back. And so like we're leaving. It's not horror, but it is grisly. But again, like it's World War One we're talking about. Like it's a war novel. So like, again, maybe this isn't what you're looking for, but it's certainly talking about a part of World War One that we don't get a lot of coverage of, right? Like we get a lot of like, like the European perspective of World War One, both in fiction and nonfiction. But if you want to read something that like goes into the forgotten chapters, this is absolutely it. It has won a prize in France. Like it is supposed to be just amazingly well written. And I'm super excited to read it. And I thought you might want to add it to your TBR as well, even though, again, dark and grisly. Uh, but that is At Night All Blood is Black by David Diop, translated by Anna Muscovakis. All right. Our last question is from Eric. It's a two-parter, so we split it up. First question is, um, looking for fae-like realms in different cultures. For example, Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik has Russian-inspired fantasy 
including an ice realm, which feels similar to the traditional fae, but has its own interesting identity. I'm interested in getting stories of these kinds originating from different parts of the globe. And then the second part, he's looking for fantasy with very involved, possibly conflicted versions of folklore. For example, I absolutely love the songs and the tales of yore in the King Killer Chronicles. Different societies in this world have different versions of the histories or stories that overlap and conflict, as well as have pieces which are true, alongside others that are merely legend. The reader isn't exactly sure where truth starts and legend ends. These are interwoven into the plot and shape the happenings of the book. Okay, so like I said, we split this. Uh, I took the first one, so I'll go ahead and answer that. He's looking for fae-like realms and different cultures. I picked my forever favorite fae series, the Tufa series by Alex Bledsoe. The first book is called The Hum and the Shiver. And this takes place in East Tennessee, (laughs) which may not sound like a different culture, but I feel like so many fae and fairy-inspired things are like, very European, and the hollers of Eastern Tennessee is its own culture, I pinky promise. So the Tufa is this society that lives in the Smoky Mountains in Eastern Tennessee. Nobody knows where they came from or how they got there. When the indigenous people of the United States arrived there, the Tufa were already there. When the Europeans came, the Tufa were already there, and they've never, they don't leave. Like, they are just this tiny little community that stays there and minds their own business, um, and they have their own, like, town um and private bronwyn hyatt is the main character she's yeah she's like 18 or 19 she's very young she's a veteran of the iraq war who left to like flee the expectations of her family as many soldiers do um and also to get away from her awful boyfriend uh except she when she goes to iraq she gets wounded very 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 badly and ends up coming home so she's discharged and now she's back um and she can't walk i think she's on crutches she's you know got a long and hard recovery ahead of her and all the stuff that she left to get away from is still there including her terrible ex-boyfriend and a ghost that is haunting her family warning that someone is going to die so the supernatural stuff very slowly reveals itself and it is a very matter of fact like mountainy kind of way like the stuff that they say about the tufa's culture and what the expectations that she ran literally to the other side of the planet to get away from are and you know going in that there's like a fae or fairy or some kind of fae situation going on here but like who the tufa are where they came from how they got here how bronwyn is involved in it a priest my favorite side character in this whole series is the priest who shows up in the or preacher whatever who shows up to like start a new church in this village which this is my own like bias i guess but when i was reading this i was like oh a preacher in tennessee i'm sure he'll have an easy time of it but the tufa are not having it they don't want any version of christianity or any they've got their own thing and they're like the discovery of the details of their culture is so fascinating and how it works into rural Tennessee in a way that like people just got used to them because they were already there. And like, what are you going to do? You know, um, there is a little bit of racism since since they come from like, who knows, literally God knows where. Um, and they are sort of dark. There is some explicit racism specifically from police because the Tufa do whatever the heck they want because they can. And so there's a few scenes that are like uncomfortable in that way. But for the most part, it's just so enjoyable and interesting. And I really wish there were more fantasy novels set in like Appalachia and the mountains of Tennessee and like Kentucky and those areas because you know we get now I'm now I'm on a whole thing uh, we get yeah, the, 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 there's like rural fantasy and urban fantasy right but rural fantasy as we know it is like Lord yeah. of the Rings and that's all anybody ever thinks of is like English countryside right but the rural areas in the U.S. are very different so that's The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe. So you've been recommending that literally since we started the show and somehow I still haven't read it, which isn't usually how it works. When you recommend a thing enough, I always read it. So now I'm going to have to, like, 
bump this up on my list because I feel like it's gone on long enough that I have not read this book. <laughs> <laughs> I've worn her down. You've worn y'all. me down. <laughs> not that I was like resisting. I just, you know, yeah. you love it so much. I'm never going to get a chance I to do. recommend it because you would recommend it if it was appropriate. Because I'm three yeah, out exactly. every year. So, but that's no excuse. I will. Okay. By the, I'm taking a vow. By the end of 2021, I will have read this book. Yay. It's also a really long series and oh, well, I read all of them. Yeah. Like, I, which I never do. I'm a terrible finisher right, of series. Right. Also, side note, the Faye situation is the name of my band. I called it. Nobody else can have it. It's mine. All right. So I took the fantasy with conflicted versions of folklore because do I have a novella for you? I'm like making finger guns. The insiders can see, but you can't. But I have a novella for you. It is When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. It is technically the second in the Singing Hills cycle, but it is 100% standalone friendly. You do not need to have read the other one to read it. It like I think the very setup of this lends itself to being standalone, honestly, because the main character is a cleric named Chi who is wandering around this the world of the Singing Hills cycle gathering stories. And so this is like their next story that they're gathering. They're trying to get across this mountain pass because they've like heard there's a story on the other side that they need to go get. And so in this in this uh, world, there are mammoths who can be ridden. So there are mammoth riders. And so they hire a mammoth rider to take them through the pass, even though the storm is coming. And even though it's like getting on a night, it's going to be a little dangerous. But like, theoretically, it's going to be fine. And they get to the like way station where they're going to spend the night and weather the storm, weather the storm. And <laughs> there are tigers, shape-shifting tigers, who are like, great, our dinner has arrived. And they're like, no, please don't eat us. Like, please don't eat us. And she decides in like a very Arabian Nights kind of situation that they're going to tell a story to the tigers to try to keep them from eating them until help can arrive. And the story that they're telling is about a tiger who fell in love with a human and they got married, but like things did not go well. And so the tigers are like, oh, sure, right. You're going to tell us that story. Like, we know that story way better than you do. But like, sure, cute human, like, go ahead and tell your story. We'll eat you when you're done. So Chi is like, and their companion are sitting around this fire, you know, trying to like enthrall the tigers enough to not get eaten. And they, the whole thing is them disagreeing on the finer points of the story and like telling it to each other and then retelling it and like who is right and what are the different interpretations and like what if the tiger likes the human version better or vice versa? Like they can't even agree amongst themselves on what the quote unquote real version version of the story is and it is so well done like it's such a great meta narrative the tension is so well handled the characters are great the story inside of the story is excellent like oh I think you're just gonna love it it's so juicy and good and fun and so again that is when the tiger came down the mountain by Nevo and that's our show. That's our show. We're doing jazz hands. Yay. Nobody ever gets to see my jazz hands that I do every week. You're not even Jen. Yay. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thanks to all of you for listening and to the insiders for watching our faces. It was super weird, but I appreciate you. Uh, for more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com. And you can find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for others to find. And thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Mimmin. 
I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And where is Jen? Jen is on social media hiatus at the moment, but when I am not on hiatus, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, that's J-E-N-N-I-R-L, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL, probably in October. I'll come back in October-ish, maybe. It's, it's time to take a little break. Uh, so yeah, that's my story. <laughs> Alrighty, and we will be back next week. <laughs>